Hello, podcast listeners. We know podcasts are a great way to catch up on a program that you may have missed on KSJE, and it's provided as a free service of this radio station. But you know, KSJE is now listener-supported, and so while you enjoy this podcast, we hope that you'll also take some time to join KSJE. Become a member today. It's quite easy to do. Just go to our website at ksje.com support and pick the level of support that best matches your budget. Thanks again for listening. Here's your podcast. Welcome back to Right on Four Corners. I'm your host, Elsheree Gladden. I'm a USA Today bestselling author of over 30 published novels and a ninth grade English teacher. And on this week's episode, I have Karen Kogan and Marina Ferrari. So we're going to be doing a little bit of talk about the books that Karen writes, as well as the editing that Marina does. And these two work together, which is probably, you can guess why I have them here at the same time. And we're just going to dive into all of it and have a good conversation. So Karen, go ahead and introduce yourself first. All right. Well, I am Karen Kogan. And I am a longtime author. My career started a while back before Amazon was quite as big as it is right now. And recently, I was really excited because my first in series hit a bestseller status. So that was really a, a fun thing to have happen finally after all these years. I'm Marina Ferrari. And while I've done a number of things in my life, the most recent is as a speech-language pathologist for the past 25, 26 years. I just retired from the schools here in Farmington, and I've always worked with adults and am continuing to do so now. And Karen and I, it truly was God that put us together to realize that she writes, and I've been an editor back home where I came from for a long time, and it just kind of segued naturally. It's been a really wonderful working relationship. It's always nice when people you need come into your life at, at a good time, and, and you can make those connections. I'm glad that you guys were able to find each other. I know how hard it is to find a good editor that you can work with well mm-hmm. <laughs> and want to keep working with over multiple projects. So that's great. Karen, I'm going to come back to you. You have a long writing career and you write in multiple genres. So tell us a little bit about your writing range and everything that you do. All right. Well, I started a number of years ago, and I I wrote the great American novel that everybody starts with. It was a fantasy. And of course, after a lot of writing experience, I realized that it was probably never going to be a bestseller. (laughs) But that was okay. It didn't stop me. So I have gone on to write um, not only uh, Christian, I like doing Christian contemporary romance, and I've done quite a bit of historical, clean historical romance. And uh, I've been, I was a teacher for 20 years, and I always taught kindergarten, which I really like. So that led me into writing children's books, which I also think are just really amazing. I think they're so much fun. And I've done a number of those, but my passion right now that I'm focusing on has been the historicals and the contemporary. And I'm going to be working on book number four in my current contemporary romance series. The first three books are up, 
and uh, they're called Grandma Mandy series, and I'm just having a blast with those. Wonderful. And that was the book that I was able to read, the first in that series right. uh, made for each other. Yes. Um, so before we um, jump into that, Marina, I wanted to ask you a little bit, where where did your background in editing come from? Is that connected to the speech My, pathology? I've always loved language. I've always had a reverence for language. And... I got my first master's in linguistics, but realized in the last semester that I was more interested in what goes wrong with language. And I just kind of walked across a hall and went into speech language pathology. But all that time, I guess the word just got out that I really loved to edit. And I would offer to read papers for my fellow students and it just kind of gained momentum from there. I don't know that I've ever been paid for any of it except once when I did somebody's uh, PhD dissertation, and then they turned it into a novel. So, well, future pe- people reach out to you. Um, definitely quote them a price because that's a valuable skill. <laughs> <laughs> yes. <laughs> now, Gary, coming back to you. Um, Where did your inspiration come for the Grandma Mandy series? You know, I think it came from just real-life experiences. My family has always been very child and family-oriented and a close family, and this character just seems to fit so perfectly with that family style. You know, she's the, the sweet grandma that's interested in everybody in the family, loves the babies, you know, just very family-centered. So she is in each of the novels, and the first one begins with her granddaughter, but then it kind of branches out to other young women that she adopts and sort of is a mentor for, and she's just a sweet character, and I really love her, you know. I know she's fiction, but still, I love Grandma Manby. You do develop those relationships with your characters, and you can't help making them part of your own family and your own reality. I think that's I think just you almost need to, don't <laughs> mm-hmm. you, to make a really good book. Although that makes me question then the horror books and the really scary ones. So where does that come from? Where does that come from? Oh wow! Don't say that. I've actually written a couple of suspense books. <laughs> Our imaginations can certainly take us to some interesting places, yeah. whether yes, they do. we've experienced those things or not. <laughs> Thankfully, most people who probably write that have never actually had to deal with any of that in real life. Let's hope I hope not. My yeah. daughter always laughs and says, "I think the FBI is going to be after you because of the things you researched in those books." <laughs> Yeah, you would think that they'd be used to it with writers by now. So That's right. Like, they can... Do they have an Amazon page? Okay, we can probably <laughs> yes. ignore all of this. Research. It was just research. <laughs> I know. I love that. It comes up where there's like a mug with a slogan on it. It's like, don't worry, it's for research or something like that. I'm an author. <laughs> yes, I'm not really going to do it. <laughs> I think we should all just get that mug or the little nameplate to go on our desk as soon as uh-huh. we start writing. Exactly. <laughs> like, I'm safe. Fine. Really honest, I am. <laughs> Well, tell me about your your two main characters in the first book, um, aside from Grandma Mandy, the two uh-huh. the two involved in the romance, and because they're interesting characters, they have had life experiences that have kind of put them on opposite sides of the situation, and they've got to work through that over the course of the story. 
Yes, they do. Um, And I think that's what makes the story more interesting is if you have two people that they have some obstacle and can be due to their background, which it is in this story, or their life expectations, what they think they want for themselves, which often turns out to be not what they really wanted. And this is true of the first story, because my main character, Lissa, really thinks that what she wants is the career. She's very set on succeeding. You know, she's had a a problem in her background with her mother having had to work to kind of support the family. And she wants to make sure that she's always got a secure job. And then she meets this easygoing artist. And he is just very uh, trusting of God to to keep his career. He's doing well. It's not that he he is struggling, but she's just having a really hard time trusting that this could work out, that with her need for security and with his business, she's just not real sure, but she is drawn to him. He is the nicest guy, and she just can't help herself. So it kind of starts there and it moves on to where over time her character shifts a bit. And I won't say how because you have to read the book, (laughs) but her character just really, she learns, she grows, and she just kind of becomes a deeper, richer person for this experience. And we see that with the other character, the the male of interest, um, Jason, as Mm -hmm. well. Because he's also coming from some past relationships that have left some scars. Right. So he needs to kind of work through some of his own fears and overcome what he sees as a barrier to any sort of relationship with Lissa as well. Absolutely. He's a little bit insecure about his security issues. His past was trouble through no fault of his own. And he has come through that on the other side. But we all know how these scars kind of linger and... He just has some real issues with can he trust her. Mm-hmm. And I think that that's just something that has to be worked through in the story to where both characters, in a reasonable way, come to trust each other. Yeah, and and that's often a difficult part, I mm-hmm. think, especially with contemporary romance. And I wanted to come back to you, Marina. When you're working through editing someone's story, one of the things that I see, especially with with newer writers or young writers, is creating those characters that have the flaws, that have that depth that we want them to have. So when you're working with someone and maybe you're, you're not seeing some of that, maybe the characters are too good or too perfect, not quite realistic enough... <laughs> What what is some of the advice that you give to writers to kind of work through that and start building those characters up a little bit more? You know, that's an interesting question, and I think a large part of the answer comes from the fact that Karen and I have been together so long now editing books that I am comfortable with saying to her, that doesn't work, that's, you know, look up a different synonym, Maybe you wanted to say this, and she's totally okay with my doing that. She doesn't feel at all threatened. And I think between the two of us that it is really fleshed out a lot of the storyline with the books. And she'll tell you I am a slave driver. I get depressed when one book is finished. I'm like, when are we starting the next (laughs) book? 
Can That's I come true. over tonight so we can edit your books? I mean, <laughs> I love doing it. I love it. And can I just say, a good editor does not let things slide. If you see something that you would say, you know, this character would not do this. You know, an author, at least speaking for myself, I want to know that. I want to know if I've jarred the reader. Mm-hmm. And and it comes out that, no, that's that's not like him. That's not what he would say. That's not what he would do. And mm-hmm. we've had those discussions, right. haven't we? Yes. Yes. It's so important to have that relationship with an editor. And, and it takes time to build that. Um, it's not like sometimes people fit together right at the start, and it's great. Other times, I think especially... Um, when it's a writer's maybe first experience working with a professional editor and getting critical feedback, like critical, helpful feedback, not mean feedback. Which exactly. Sometimes never mean. That's hard for newbies to <laughs> tell the difference. <laughs> it can be very painful to get that. Like, I don't think this character would react that way, or I'm I'm sensing some issues with the story. That can just feel so gutting the first time you experience that if you're not prepared, if you haven't maybe taken a creative writing class or even, you know, English comp where you had to do peer reviews and get that feedback. Like, I that's think, really hard that first time. I've been, I know I've been really blessed. Karen and I started off as friends and through church and that went on for a long time. I didn't even know she wrote books at the beginning. And then I just asked her one day, hey, do you need any editing? And uh, we finally started. And I think what we do is a bit unorthodox because I sit next to her and she prints off the book and I read it aloud as she follows on the computer. And you would be amazed at the number of errors that you catch like that. You've got Mm -hmm. two sets of eyes and the sequencing and how it flows you've got you, again we've got two people looking at that and it's made all the difference used to be i started with getting a draft red pen mistakes having to sit down and then incorporate all those mistakes it took forever and i just praise god for one day just saying, why are we doing it this way? Let me just read it with you. And it's been wonderful. When you, yeah, when you read a story out loud, and I've heard this advice from writers' podcasts, magazine articles, always read it because when you read it out loud, it's totally different than just reading it on paper. You do not catch as many things is if the ear actually hears it, mm-hmm. and you think, oh, no, that's not right. <laughs> Your brain yeah. fills in a lot of the mistakes mm-hmm. that are there that you don't see, but reading it out loud makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. I think especially for dialogue, which I think is something that a lot of writers either have a really natural sense for writing dialogue, or it's the hardest aspect of writing, and you get really formal or stilted dialogue and it just sounds awkward and maybe when you're you're reading it visually it doesn't stand out as much but once you start hearing it it's like no I will not come with you to the and you're just like <laughs> Karen people is don't talk see. like that <laughs> Karen is really excellent at writing dialogue she's got a few quirks and I call them her Texan mistakes <laughs> because there are certain aspects of the the grammar 
and the language that I'm like, you know, normal people don't talk like that. <laughs> well, if you're from Texas, it sounds just right. But right. I guess if you live somewhere else. <laughs> that, that can be tricky, kind of either adding those literary accents to the writing or the mm-hmm. colloquialisms. I can't ever say that word on the first try. Um, <laughs> or, you know, just the, the regional vernacular. Right. Um, especially that's something that's a pet peeve for me. Being here in the Southwest, I've grown Mm -hmm. up here, I've spent most of my life in New Mexico, but in the Four Corners, and it drives me crazy when someone writes about this area who doesn't know anything about this area, and those little things where you're like, no... That's oh, not yeah. what we say. Isn't that is that not funny? how that word that is spelled. That is not how it Or that <laughs> right. wouldn't happen. I had a book I read one time, and I'm from Texas, South Texas. And it was set there. It was set way deep in South Texas. And this book featured a blizzard. I mean, a total <laughs> snowstorm blizzard. And, you know, if you were in the rest of the country, it might not bother you. But I thought to myself, <laughs> I don't think so. Oh. Not that far deep in South Texas. That's that would be un- unusual. Mm-hmm. You know, but they wrote it as though it was a usual thing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can't remember. It was years ago. It was in a, some writing group. I can't even remember where. But, um, yeah, they had written something about snow starting to fall, and it had been falling moderately for, like, half an hour, and then suddenly an avalanche started. Oh, my. And I was like, that's not I, – I think you might need to research – what like how much snow is needed? So what would cause funny. an avalanche? Exactly. Like, this doesn't strike me as very realistic. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Some places don't have a blizzard. Not usually. Yeah. Right. They might get snow, but not that much. There are those things that yes. yeah, if you're being very specific about a region or exactly. a, a culture or anything that really needs to be spot on because mm-hmm. the people who know that or live there or have experienced that are definitely going to know that. Yeah, I think that's another you. one of those things that you can really put a reader off. That's right. Oh, definitely, definitely. You have I, to research. Well, I think that's something important with, with working with an editor mm-hmm. that when you're looking for someone, they need to know about what you're writing about or a lot of those things are going to slip through. And that's something I've seen here and there with, with different smaller presses that stuff like that's not always caught because maybe they're not familiar with the topic or or the area or things like that. Right. And mm-hmm. I think those are right. definitely things that really do stand out and can really take a reader out of the story very quickly. I, I can't remember the name of the book. They were writing in southern New Mexico and kept spelling chili with an I. And I looked up, I was like... We don't Where's write this it author that from? Right. Yeah. We <laughs> don't do Texas. that here. That's right. <laughs> and I was like, that is not the right chili, and you should know that. <laughs> yeah, you should research. Well, I did a book on Australia one time, and it was a historical. And I, of course, I've never been to Australia. So I did tons and tons of research. And this was long ago where enough where the Internet wasn't quite as much as it is now. But I did a lot of research. And I just happened to have a friend at the time that was from Australia that was here temporarily. And uh, I had her read the book. And I said, please, anything you find, let me know. So it's important to have a variety of people pre-read your book. And uh, she actually said, no, I I didn't really find anything. And I thought, wow. Amazing. That was amazing. It was. (laughs) It really was. That's the value of researching. Exactly. Before you just write. Yeah, you can't just go make things up and and say that this is how it's going to be or or what a certain animal can do that is in a country you've never been to. (laughs) Right. Yeah. 
well, like you mentioned, like finding people as readers who are mm-hmm. familiar with the area or the subject. Um, I have a, a French character in, in my Date Shark series, and um, I briefly studied French in high school, and so I knew, like, my French is not that good, and you know, found some really helpful blogs with different um, slang phrases and things that he might say, idioms that he might use, things like that, and, and thought that I had done a, a really good job, you know, getting everything pretty accurately, and I had a, a friend from Estonia who is fluent in French and asked her to read through Uh-oh. some sections, <laughs> and she was just like, like, everything overall was fine. She's like, they don't really have a word for girlfriend, interesting like yes. it, it's basically it's either wife or really kind of a derogatory word that i had used for girlfriend that was um, oh, interesting you wouldn't know that though. right yeah it That's was right. not the word that he would want to use with his parents to introduce this <laughs> woman <laughs> it's a good thing you got that fixed <laughs> oh, yeah, and I was yeah. Like, oh like uh, i hadn't even considered that another language would not have a word for girlfriend right exactly and it was just like when i looked it up you know like well this is the french word for girlfriend here we go she's like no don't use that (laughs) yeah that's a disadvantage of using they're saying even now like computer because ai is so big but Mm -hmm. just going in and having it write something like that you don't really know because that's big on translating they said if you do have it translate for you Please have a native reader read it, mm-hmm. you know, because it really may not be perfect. Yeah, there's there's definitely limitations to what AI can do to help you with yes. a variety of writing tasks. That's true. <laughs> Absolutely. That is hotly up for debate right now well, in a yeah, lot of is. writing circles. <laughs> it is. When I was, I had just gone through and updated some of the files for my books, updating the front and back matter and stuff. And you do have, with Amazon, you have to go through. When you update and click, did you use AI for, mm-hmm. there were three things. One of them was um, translation, then I think story creation. There was a couple different things. But yeah, they they ask you and they'll they'll flag it as yes. partial AI content. They'll say how much, yeah, how yeah. much AI is did you use in this book? Yeah. So mine was, I did do some research. The last one that I'm, I have a new one coming out. And um, I did use it a little bit for some research and all. So you have to, you put, okay, I wrote the book myself, which I do. And then I went back in and used it just a little bit. So you can do that level or you can do, I guess you can do it, wrote the whole thing, but I wouldn't want to do that. (laughs) Yeah, A little bit off topic, but Karen's new book is fantastic. And really, I am being neutral here not (laughs) prejudiced her books keep getting better and better Mm -hmm. as she writes as they should and this new one set in alaska is fantastic well i am excited to hear more about that it'll be fun Um, it's a historical i go back and forth (laughs) historical is one that i have no inclination to write because of the massive amount of time yes, the research. that goes into mm-hmm. it. I, I enjoy reading historical fiction, and I enjoy researching stuff. I haven't done a lot of paranormal rate lately or mythology-based stuff, but that's always fun to research. But I find that intimidating, the level of accuracy you need for historical yes, fiction. Of very small things. And I questioned her all the way through because I didn't know. And I'm like, is this really the name 
of a river? Is this really the name of a town and describing it? And and she did. She whipped out all this research (laughs) that she'd done. And uh, it was pretty impressive. You have to do that for historical. I actually got online and contacted uh, the town of Valdez. And they have all their archaeological, their research and stuff from their town because they're very proud of their history. And uh, there were a couple of questions I asked them to go back into their archives because I said, I'm writing a book and, you know, I'm going to get this right. Right. They were very nice. That's good. Yes. And I think that's something that newer writers don't always know how willing people and organizations are to help you with your research and maybe like shy away from reaching out to people and maybe miss some things. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's like, well, if you couldn't find it Googling it, which there's plenty of historical stuff that's not going to be, you know, first thing right. in the search results on Google. Exactly. Right. you got to dig a lot right. to get some of this yeah. historical. Contemporary is a little easier because we live in this era, so, you know, it's easier to write the story and get everything correct. But, mm-hmm. yes, the historical is a whole different ball yeah. game because... You know, the furniture, the surroundings, everything is going to be time the period. The way they dressed, walked, talked, mm-hmm. yes, the interacted. Language. Yeah. And just like the little details. There was a book I read several years ago set in Scotland, and it was kind of a time travel-ish. I, I can't remember how she ends up mm-hmm. back in time. Um, you sound like she's... you're talking about Outlander. It, it kind of had a feel like that. Um, it had something to do with a lake. I'll have to look it oh, up. I'm sure like, it's, it's hey, in my hey. Kindle somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, it, yeah, it had it had that kind of feel of a modern woman who ends up back in time, and she's just, like, lost mm-hmm. at first. Mm-hmm. Yes, we would be. What, these layers of clothes mm-hmm. and, and feminine products. Yeah, and how she do was I do just this? kind of like, um, <laughs> what? <laughs> yeah. And I was reading it, and I'm like, oh, I actually had no idea that's how they handled that back. Right. Yes. Yeah. I wouldn't I know. Like, that must have been some research to get into that. Yeah. Yeah. And it made me be grateful that she took so much time to research so well. Right. It's like, yeah, I'm never writing. Absolutely. <laughs> I don't have time for that in my life right now. Yeah. It's funny you can get bogged down too in it because you'll start reading and you're really looking for just this one thing you need to know, but then you find something that sounds really interesting All and these intriguing. rabbit holes. And you yep. start going down them. Yeah. Yep, yep. you got to stop yourself. <laughs> well, and I've had a couple of historical, um, historical society members on talking about some of their pamphlets and booklets that they've written on topics for this area and um, some of the other um, areas in the Four Corners. And it was interesting to hear from them and realize how much of the information they have is not computerized. Like, it's not accessible right. anywhere else yet. Like, they're trying to do it. They're mm-hmm. a group of volunteers who, you know, do it when they have time. Oh, but right. so much of that stuff is still in boxes and on shelves. And if you really need to find that information, you may have to go down there and sift through some exactly. of that Exactly. You're going to dig like wow. we used to have to do by going to the library before there was the internet. Right. And going mm-hmm. and going through a ton of books to try to get the information yep. that you Card needed. catalogs. I remember yeah. that, yes. Well, and then how challenging that must be to edit stuff like that where... It's mm-hmm. not easily available to be like, is that really what they meant? Let me Google that real quick. <laughs> yes, it would take a lot more editing for sure because it yeah. might not sound right to you and you'd have to stop every time and look it up. Yeah. Well, I yeah. think we work really well. I hold her accountable. She holds me accountable. We learn 
for it's like I said, it's a bit unorthodox for how editors usually work. And I must just say that some of the things I've read that Karen wrote that had been professionally edited were shockingly bad. That's really true. awful. That's true. I started out my career with it was a small New York press, uh, traditionally published. And so you trust when you have a, a traditional press that they're going to go through. They have editors. And you assume that they've gone through and really gotten everything. And she's right. You know, she looked back through and she's like, boy, they missed some things. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, I've unfortunately experienced that with some of my previous publishers as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's like got my rights back and, you know, went back through it, and it was like... So you know. Oh, right. dear. Yes. Yeah, I've got to go back through Yes, this yes. whole thing. Well, I just wanted to remind the readers as we get toward our end of time um, that the book I was able to read was made for each other by Karen Kogan, and we we're also talking with uh, Marina Ferrari and her experience with editing. And because we had so much to talk about with these two lovely ladies that we have on this week, uh, we are actually going to pause here and take a break and conclude our interview next week in part two of our interview with Karen Kogan and Marina Ferrari. Did you enjoy that podcast? We hope that you did. And if you did, share it with your friends. And if you really want to keep podcasts like this coming, please support KSJE. You can do it easily online at ksje.com.